Jeff. Before we get into the Word of God, we have a word from the Lord. Who likes to hear words from the Lord? All right, Miss Irene, come on up here and share what the Lord has put on your heart. Wow. Um, I was just kind of like busting at the seams sitting there because uh, um, God is so good. And so he wanted me to read out of Psalms 107. Um, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story, those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. And the reason he wanted me to share this with you and to encourage you is because for the last, I mean, couple of weeks I've been able, and God has given me opportunity to share my story about how the Lord changed me, how he redeemed me. And I have to say, maybe three years ago, I still would have felt a little shamed. I, was, I still would have felt a little guilty. I would have felt a little condemned. But I'm telling you, the Lord has said, Irene, I changed your life. I did that. You give me glory. Give me thanks. Because he did it. Only Jesus could do it. And so the Lord wanted me to tell some of you today that you think if your story is too bad and, and you're thinking, what are people going to think about me after I, I share it? If the Holy Spirit tells you to share it, tell your story of what Jesus has done, what he did in your life. It will give him glory and you don't know how that's going to affect the person that you're talking to. Don't be ashamed. Hold your head up high because Jesus did it. And that's what he wanted me to share today. In Amen. Jesus' name, Amen. thank you. Oh, that's so good. There is no shame when you've been redeemed. Because the Bible says you are not who you once were. You're a new creation, amen. But that story tells the, the glorious power of Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Miss Irene. All right, well, we are the Word of God, amen. Do you have a Bible? would love to have you uh, get it out or a device you like to read off of. Um, open up to Acts chapter 2. I, I expect a little rumble when I say Acts chapter 2, but okay, we'll get you there. Acts chapter 2. Y'all didn't grow up in Pentecostal churches. I get it. Uh, I used to hear this one all the time when I first came into the faith. If you don't have a device or a Bible, what? It happens in all the churches, doesn't it? Um, the scripture will also be up here when we get there. Um, but let me just uh, frame it up a little first. Um, it's such an interesting moment that we're living in. Um, how many of you have heard? It's been on the news. Most of the news outlets talked about kind of the revival going on in Asbury. Who's heard about that? Anybody? Okay, most of you. So I didn't know how much I was going to need to explain. Uh, but all, not just there, apparently, news now is that um, sort of this, this sustained outpouring of the presence of God and people gathering, we'll call it that, um, in his presence and coming alive to his presence. That's what revival means. It's spread to at least 25 other campuses, but not just college campuses, to church groups as well. So it's spreading like wildfire, like these things do. You know, when God, God lights a fire, it can travel, right? Um, as long as there's something that the fire can burn. Now we're going somewhere, huh? Um, and so people have been asking me because we have, you know, this is the really cool thing about us. We get a double bullseye, right? We have, we are connected to the campus. We have a campus ministry with the House of Prairie Lansing, and we're a church. So God can do both and hit us from all sides, amen? Um, but people uh, who aren't nearby or who aren't real involved, um, they, they have been contacting me, has it hit Michigan State University yet? I'm like, I don't know, <laughs> you know, because, uh, you know, it, does it have to look a certain way? You know, it depends on how you want to define it. I was talking to another friend who's a pastor in the area. I said, well, what do you think about all this? He, and his first question, well, well, we've got to talk first about how we define revival, don't we? What does that actually mean? I'm like, that's a good question. Um, and that's, that's not what I'm here to do. But um, 
Is what's happening at Asbury happening here? Well, not yet, but I want to tell you significant things are happening. Um, could it be revival when, you know, because of, we've got great crisis, obviously. Um, I can't quantify it. It's not happening in all one place, but I knew, you know, there are hundreds of believers who carry the Holy Spirit and the presence of God who have been out on campus talking to people who've never heard about Jesus before. That's kind of revival, don't you think? I mean, that it's created by the environment we're in, that I got to sit down with a guy from uh, maybe the most Buddhist nation in the world, Nepal, and Meredith and I got to share Jesus with him. That, that could be revival. Uh, he didn't fall on his knees and repent, but his eyes were wide open, something he'd never heard before. Um, and that's just one, one story. Um, all that to say, uh, we may be in the, sometimes we may be in the middle of something and we just don't even know it because we don't know what it's going to look like. How, God, how does God want to move here? How does God want to move in your own heart? Is it going to look like someone else's? No, it's just not because God... Uh, knows exactly what he needs to do, what he wants to do, and how it relates to specific people, places, and times. But I do know there are some general principles that, that you can't get away from, and I love the, the, the word of God because it never lies. God never lies. Here's the truth of the matter. In the kingdom of God, the hungry are filled. Sermon on the Mount stuff right there. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, which comes from who? God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for him. Why? They will be filled. It's a guarantee. It's not a maybe. It's not like if God feels like it. If they are hungry for him, if you are hungry for him, he promises that you will be filled. Isn't that an awesome promise? My thought and how I want to frame up today, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that, but I want to give God permission to light the fire however he sees fit with us, right? Um, is Today I want to talk about how we can build an altar. Because to me, I feel like that's what, what has happened. Again, I haven't been to Asbury. I haven't interviewed anyone there. I literally haven't watched much of even the videos or read much of the news articles because as soon as it, it started happening, it went viral, which is amazing, but then everybody had to have an opinion. Like, oh, this is God, this is revival. And some people are like, no, this isn't revival. And I just stopped. I'm not reading anymore. I'm done. <laughs> people start gathering, asking for God, and God shows up. That's all I need to know. That, that's all we need to know, too. What, what happened there? I believe an altar was built. And when God, you build an altar, God will put fire on it. That, that's what happened. And so the, the simple part of the story is Asbury University is a Christian university. They have chapel services. They had a regular chapel service one day. And after the chapel service, there were a few, a small few, who were hungry, who stayed. It was over. Like the chapel service was over. Everybody went on about their day. But a few didn't because they weren't satisfied to leave it there. They knew they wanted to seek God more. And the long story short was, he met them. They were hungry, they were thirsty, God filled. They built an altar and God brought the fire. And now hundreds of thousands, I guess, have come. Uh, maybe 50,000 at least. I don't want to exaggerate the numbers. Preachers tend to do that. Uh, from all over the nation and some from the nations to experience the fire that God lit when a few with hungry hearts built an altar. The reason I want to make it simple like that is because I think it is that simple sometimes with God. In my mind, when I think of these few, I don't know who they are. Does anybody know their names? Does it matter? <laughs> it was like they couldn't leave well enough alone, Right? They had worship, they had a message, they had chapel, and, and well enough was not enough for them. They weren't satisfied with what was normative, and so they asked for more. And you know what? God can't stay away from that. Are we satisfied? Are we okay to leave well enough alone? Well, we get to make our choice, but... 
then you can get theological about it, right? Well, where did that hunger come from? Well, God. He touched their heart. He stirred them with hunger and uh, gave them a desire to ask for more. Because that doesn't come from our flesh. You know that, right? It comes from the Spirit of God. When there's a hunger in you, it's because God is stirring you. You know why God stirs you? Because he wants to meet you. You know why he makes you desire more? Because he wants to give you more. It's really that simple. It's not about us arm-twisting God or convincing him that we're fervent enough. He should show up. (laughs) It always starts with him. And when he stirs our heart and we respond, we build an altar, he comes. So my question for us is, are you hungry? And if you're hungry, have you sat at the table long enough for him to come fill you? That was the other piece is it took some time. These folks had to set aside life as normal. They had to, to make some choices. Well, I'm not going to go wherever to do the next class, to the lunchroom. Who know? I don't know where they're headed after chapel. They had to set aside some things that were normal to, to get the more that they were hungry for. And I think that that's part of it, too. That is how we, we build an altar. When we build an altar, he will send the fire. When we set the table, he will come. And so that's why we're reading in Acts chapter 2. The Lord called them to wait. It's really the beginning, Acts chapter 2, is the beginning of the greatest revival of all time. Do you know what it's called? The church. Greatest revival of all time began here in what we're about to read in Acts chapter 2. And I say it was just the beginning because it was just the beginning. We can read Acts chapter 2. We can read the book of Acts and be wowed like, oh my goodness, it must have been such a magnificent time. And it was. But I want to tell you, it was only the beginning. Acts chapter 2 and the Holy Spirit, and we haven't read it yet, but we'll get there. When the Holy Spirit came in and it was a sound like wind and there were tongues of fire sitting on the heads of all the people gathered in the room, it was just the beginning. It was not the high water mark. It was just the first time the water touched down on the parched ground and the church was born. And every moment and season since then is Jesus lifting the watermark higher. That's the truth. Let's pray and let's jump into the word of God. Father, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you that by your grace, And your sacrifice, you brought us near. We thank you that you have initiated and borne us into an age where your spirit is being poured out. We say, Lord, do it in us. Lord, pour out your spirit in us again and again and again and again. Would you give us ears to hear you knocking and grace to open the door? That we would set a table before you, Lord, where you could come and fill us. Lord, open up your word to us with a spirit of wisdom and revelation in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to read a lot of the history here, and now I'm going to say a few words, and I'm going to pray for one another. Sound good? Sounds good to me. All right, and I get to make the plan. You know, come Holy Spirit. Amen. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Again, this may be familiar to you, but look at it with me. I want you to see it with eyes afresh. Now, we did Acts 1 a couple weeks ago, so I don't want to have to review that, but essentially Jesus had ascended into heaven. He said, wait, I'm going to send you the promise of Father, which is the Holy Spirit. So they waited, and this is what happened next. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. They've been doing this for a few days. And then suddenly, it sounded like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And, verse 4, all of them. Would you say that? All of them? All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. All right, stop for a sec. I don't think, I don't, I'm not planning to keep interrupting myself, but I just remembered, I, I try again not to get into all the sensationalist stuff, but I saw the really, a really cool, it relates to this, really cool video this week about the upper room where they were meeting. 
um, that somebody, they, they were on their tour of Jerusalem and people visit this space that they believe is the upper room all the time. He said, I've been to the upper room a million times um, and I've never seen anything like this. And what had happened is spontaneously in the literal upper room, this same upper room where these people were meeting 2,000 years ago, there were people from the nations coming to visit and spontaneously in that room worship erupted. In all the languages, all at the same time, all the people in the room were singing praises to the Lord. In their language, in tongues, all, and they caught this video of it. Like, and this guy who was supposed to have said, I've been here so many times to Jerusalem. I visited the upper room so many times. You always see little groups here and there praying by themselves, but I've never seen the whole room praying like this. I felt like it was a sign and a wonder. It was just so cool. All right, keep reading. Verse 5. Now there were, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own language? So Pentecost was a festival. People from all the nations had come to Jerusalem at this particular time. Of course, that's when the Holy Spirit's going to come. But just so you understand what's happening. And so all the people in the upper room, though, in this day, when we're reading this passage were Jesus' disciples. They were Jews. They, they all spake one language. They were not from the nations, okay? But they made this sound as the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they're saying, we, we hear them each speaking our native tongue. These guys who never learn a language are speaking their tongues, and they're declaring the wonders of God. Okay, so I'm going to skip to that. Verse 11, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. That's a miracle, right? Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Verse 13, some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. All right, we're going to stop there. We'll pick up the the rest of the story in a minute. But so this was not this was, a, this was an incredible moment. It was a defining moment. It was an age-shifting moment in the history of the world and in the history of the redeemed, redeemed people of God. It was the initiation of the church age that we are blessed to live in. Because this day happened, we stand here today believers in Jesus. You know that? You're here because of this. Thank you, Jesus. And so it was uh, dramatic. It was epic. But it was not the high water mark. Well, I wish we could somehow get back to that. No, we stand here today on the, we, our feet have set our feet on the ceiling of what happened in days past, and therefore we stand today. And all I'm saying that to say we can expect not to go back, but to see more. Amen? This is the first time what was so dramatic, what was happening in this moment that had never happened before. Well, the person of God, the presence of God, the power of God had come for the first time Not to dwell among people. The presence of God had been on the earth, active since the first day God began creation. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Amen? And he spoke life into Adam and Eve. And the Holy Spirit worked through the prophets and the judges and the kings. And he was all throughout the story. But one thing had never happened until Jesus was that the person of God would live inside a human being. And that's what happened here. For the first time, beyond the Son of God who was virgin-born, right? That's a big deal. He came into the world by conceived by the Holy Spirit, right? So he was holy from birth, and so he could handle the person of God dwelling inside flesh and not self-combust. But at this moment, now that Jesus has come, lived a perfect sinless life, offered his life, died, buried, resurrected, now we come into salvation, we become cleansed, we become holy, and now the Holy Spirit can come inside our human bodies and possess us, as it were. This is making sense. This is a big moment. Now, all throughout the story of God's people, the the Spirit of God would come upon a person for a time and a season and a moment, but then it would lift Because God couldn't dwell in the midst of our sin. Do you know what this means? That when Jesus came and paid the price for our sins, he literally made us holy forever. Literally made you holy. You know why? Because if these people in this room had not been holy by the blood of Jesus, by his sacrifice and resurrection, they would have died. That's what the Bible says. 
They would have died in the presence of the Holy One unless they themselves were holy. And so the first time in human history, the tabernacle of God wasn't just with man, it was in man, where God had dwelt in the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies, even in the box, the ark of his presence for many generations, the ark now became us. That's a powerful moment. That's going to come with thunder and fire from heaven, and it's never happened before. Can you believe it? They, us. Even though we are weak, though we are frail, though we are tempted, yet we are redeemed, made holy. And the Bible says we are the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You know what that means when it says that we become the righteousness of God, that we actually become just as Jesus became literally subsumed in himself on the cross our sin he became sin in that moment the moment you come to faith in Christ you become the righteousness of God you become the substance of his holiness wow that's incredible that's miraculous and when he came, it was explosive. And they began to praise God in these tongues. And the people heard and they said, what does this mean? What's going on here? Because it wasn't just about a one moment spiritual experience. It was the ushering in of God's greatest plan. God's greatest plan, in my words, to come and take over the world in his love. <laughs> That's how I say it. But it was his master plan to take his holy people, you and me, send his power not just on us but inside of us so that he could bring himself to the whole world. That was his master plan. That we would become holy as he is holy so that the person of Jesus lives in us so we can go introduce and represent the man Jesus to a world that is hungry and thirsty for him. Do you know who that is? That's us. Yep, you and me. That's our high calling. Let's read on. Some of you are like, not sure what to think right now. I'm telling you the truth. This should be one of the greatest examples of what was going on here. Peter, verse 14, stands up with the 11, raise his voice and address the crowd. Because they're asking, what is this? What does this mean? Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, taking straight from the Old Testament prophet, prophetic scriptures, the word of the Lord, where God says this, in the last days, verse 17, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters, we said all of them before, did we say that? Uh, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. You're getting an idea. He's saying all of them. And they will prophesy. Keep reading. I'll show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Now, who knows when that day is? What's the coming of great and glorious day of the Lord? Anyone? When Jesus returns, thank you. It wasn't that hard, was it? But I want to point that out because something started here in Acts chapter 2 in the upper room in Jerusalem that is not finished until Jesus returns. This wasn't a one-time event. It was the ushering in of an era that would ever increase until he comes back. So until he comes back, he's pouring out his spirit on his sons and his daughters. There's visions, there's dreams, there's wonders in the heaven and on the earth below. And then Jesus will come. Where are we in that story? Right in the middle. Maybe close to the end. But the, the point of what I'm saying is, what's happening here? What happened to these people? It's so glorious. It's so amazing. Well, that must have been really nice for them. No, it's really nice for you because you're right in the middle of this. 
until he comes. Verse 21, and then what happens? What happens as God pours out his spirit on his sons and daughters every day, more and more, glory to glory, strength and strength, until he returns? Well, then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord is saved. It's called a worldwide global revival. The harvest of souls, the reward Jesus gets for his suffering. His great master plan to put his person in your person so people get to know Jesus through you. We become the house. We become the temple. We become the sons of God because he was the son of God. We become the place and the means where God himself can dwell in us. That is extraordinary. And this was only the beginning. And from that moment on, all that call on the name of the Lord Jesus would be saved and would receive the very same spirit. You believe that? When you call on the name of the Lord, you receive the very same Holy Spirit. It was a promise fulfilled. The Father always fulfills his promise. He said he would do it, and he did it, and he does it, and he'll continue doing it until he's finished the work that he started. This was a new day when the Holy Spirit wasn't going to be rationed out as needed, but would be poured out to mark the greatest days the world has ever known. Right now. Until Jesus comes, that'll be an even greater day. <laughs> and we are on the way. These days of grace, the days where the kingdom of God has come and where Jesus has come to save us, yes, but not just save us, but to empower us to pour out his spirit until the gospel reaches the ends of the earth so that he can come back. In these days, until he comes back, that's what he's doing. And when I said, when I first started reading that section, this is the greatest evidence. Peter himself, right? When last time we saw Peter in front of any public gathering, he was denying Jesus to two or three people and a little servant girl. He couldn't even own up that he was follower of Jesus. And then something happens, the Holy Spirit. And he stands up, not in front of three people, but in front of the nations, and begins to proclaim the gospel. And I'm not going to read all that, but he preaches a really long sermon. If you think my sermons are long, if you think some people talk for a long time, you should have been in the house when Peter or Jesus preached. Anyways, he preaches a long, long sermon. And it was just what they needed to hear at that moment in time. Because they knew of Jesus, they didn't know what he had done, but now they were seeing evidence of Jesus, and they wanted to know how to respond. We talked about that when we talked about Acts chapter 1, that we are called to this, to be witnesses with evidence that cause the world to wonder and prepare them to receive him too. So G I'm sorry, Peter, transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, in the very next moment preaches this powerful sermon, and uh, we're going to pick it up at the end of the sermon. <laughs> His first sermon to the nations, man, that's so good. Verse 36, he wraps up his sermon with this thought. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus that he just talked about, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Well, how do we know? You're looking at the evidence. That's what he's saying to them. But when the people that heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And here's what he said to them. He replied, repent. Turn away from where you're living for yourself. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. And there it is again. All. For all whom the Lord God will call. How do we respond? We see the evidence of a kingdom we didn't know could come like this. Peter, what do we do? Turn away from yourself. 
put your faith in Jesus and you'll be in it too. You'll receive the same gift of salvation and the empowering of the Holy Spirit all in one moment, just like that, because it's for all. Say all. Let me finish this passage. Verse 40, with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. This sermon has not spoiled or timed out. Save yourself from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Man, what happens when the Holy Spirit gets possession of a few? When we become witnesses with evidence, the nations will get to see Jesus, and they will come. So again, this wasn't for a moment. This wasn't for a special group. You know that last part Peter said? It's for you and your children, for all who are far off. You know who else is in that number? That's us again. It's for us, for all who the Lord God will call. He called us. And we're in this same boat. When we repent, when we turn to Jesus, we receive the very same spirit at work in that upper room. It's still being poured out. All whom the Lord will call. It's for all, the gospel to save and the power that accompanies it. This is our invitation. It comes to all. All will prophesy, is what he quoted from Joel. All will see visions. All will dream dreams. All will see wonders. All will speak in other tongues. Do you believe it? And it's not just a checkbox, because you may, some of you have a story, and you've had encounters with the Lord, and you've been in church or even in revival seasons, you say, yep, did it, yep, been there, yep, I know that, yep, 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 I've done that. Because it happened once, does that mean you got all that God has for you? (laughs) It's glory to glory. Strength to strength. You've experienced the evidence of the kingdom in you, but it's not just a hurdle to jump and say, okay, now we move on. You have to know there's more and more. Until your life looks just like Jesus walking the earth, there's more. Until you become the full-strength version of his life on planet earth, there's more. And God's doing it. Some of you have not yet experienced many or any of these things. And I want to assure you, it's for you. It's for all. All of them were filled. Because it's the will of the Father for all of us to be filled. To carry that power so that we all become witnesses of the evidence of heaven. Because the whole world needs him. Amen? Now, what were the names of the people in the group in that upper room? Anyone know? We know about 11 of them. What what, what point am I making here? Because it wasn't just for the special. It wasn't just for the few. It wasn't for the pastors or the prophets or the evangelists. It was for the all. And why? Because God wanted all of them to walk in that. He wanted all of them to be used of him, to be witnesses in the world that they're in. And we don't need to learn their names. That's okay. They weren't the ones who, they may have been the ones who brought the gospel to us, but we don't need to know that. We just know that they all got it. We all get it, and God's still doing it. Amen? No one may ever know your name or your story, but you have a part of the story. You have a part of the story. He's making you a witness of his glory. Did you know that? Whether or not anyone else would ever read your names, God's got your name in his book. He's writing a story with you right now. And guess what? It's for all of you. And it's for all. All the people you know. And I want to encourage you too, as I was rereading some of this this morning, and I read that part where Peter says, and I have to scroll up to see it, um, this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Again, we're in the far off piece, but I felt like the Lord would encourage some of you who've been um, wondering about your children. But I believe that there's a promise that the more we will receive, the more they will. Now they have to say yes for themselves, but if we're struggling to see more of God's activity in their lives, we can't manipulate anyone into the kingdom. We can't manipulate kingdom activity into them, but we can become a vessel that releases a flow that touches them. It's for all of you and your children. 
So if you don't have a better reason to ask for more today, but you have kids, receive more today. Ask for more today. All who are far off. Hallelujah. It's so good. We are living, no one may know your, your name, but God's got your name in his story. And I want you to see your name in the story. He has you experiencing all these things. Visions, dreams, prophesying, speaking the word of the Lord. The promise is for us all. And I want to say we are living in an Acts 2 moment now because it never stopped. <laughs> Jesus hasn't yet returned, has he? Did I miss it? No, because every eye will see him when he comes. You will know when he has come back. And until he comes back, this is still the moment we're leaving, leaving in. The power of the Holy Spirit moment. You know that right now in different places, in the U.S., but also in the nations of the earth, there are, there are more crazy, crazy numbers. I don't know the numbers, but crazy numbers of Muslims coming to faith in Jesus. Did you know that? Like I keep reading stories. Um, and do you know how many of them come? Visions, dreams. Why? Because God's pouring out his spirit, and people are going to have visions and dreams of him. Now, that messes with me a little bit, because I'm like, well, they're not in the kingdom yet. That doesn't matter. God's pouring out his spirit on the earth. It can't be stopped. And if people don't get to be evidence to these people, Jesus will be the evidence to them. And he's going to put the same spirit on them. And they have the vision of him. They have a dream of him. They say yes, and then they receive the same gift of the Holy Spirit. And you know what then they do? They turn around to their neighbor, and they are witnesses with evidence of a kingdom that that hasn't been experienced before. Because it's what God's doing. It is, it is the moment we are living in. And I say that just to point out you can't stop it, that we shouldn't try to reason our way out of it. I've heard a lot of people try to reason their way out of Acts 2 and think, well, that was for them. Now it's different. I don't see that in the scripture here. There's, there's one proof text people like to use uh, in 1 Corinthians. says, well, when the perfect has come, then we'll be done with all of this. We'll be done with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We'll be done with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit because when the perfect comes, we won't need prophecy. We won't need the tongues. We won't need any of that yet. And people will say that the perfect that has come is the word of God. Now, I'll say the word of God is infallible. It is anointed. It is powerful. It is, it is complete unto us. But the only thing perfect we're waiting for is Jesus. That proof text does not apply to the working of the Holy Spirit. Until he comes. Until the perfection comes. Because even if we have the infallible word of God, you know what problem we have between the infallible word of God is our fallible brains. And <laughs> our fallible hearts that misinterpret. There's only one person who gets it all right. His name is Jesus. And until he's standing on the earth again, the perfect hasn't come. We're still living in this season. Maybe you're here and you need to be added into that number today. Maybe you haven't even fully turned away from yourself and put your faith in Jesus. I want to tell you, it's for you too. It's an ever-increasing glory. And there are times... And there are seasons where it seems like, if you will, the water level takes a swift uptick. And there have been many in the history of the church. I don't even know them all. I feel like in the perfect grace of God, from Acts chapter 2 until he returns, it would look something like this. The water level would just keep rising. There would just be more and more and more and more. But there's one problem in the middle of that. It's usually us. <laughs> and so as much as the Lord is pouring out his spirit, sometimes we don't have the altar built. As much as he's pouring out his spirit, we don't have a container for it. So, but I say that because I do believe still we stand at the level of what we've received corporately over many generations. And there are moments when God breaks in and it's a swift uptick, you know, like uh, the Azusa Street Revival in the early 1900s. Even in the last century, we've had several. The, the healing evangelists of the 40s, the Jesus people in the 70s. By the way, an amazing movie out apparently. I haven't seen it. Go see it. Tell me about it. I'm going to see it. Uh, about that. They have the charismatic renewal. 
where the Holy Spirit started to invade all the mainline denominations, came soon after that. Um, in more recent decades, we had the Brownsville Revival, Toronto outpouring. Um, today, we have Bethel Church. Who knows? We have Asbury. There are moments where God tips it in, and I feel like many times the, that's the grace of God in, in seasons when we are desperately in need. When there's huge persecution on the church or when the current culture demands something stronger than what the church is carrying. And I say we might be in one of those seasons. You know, in our age, in our culture of hypersexualization and confusion, in an age where there's so much increase in rampant substance abuse taking people's lives, the mental health crisis in the earth, we are ripe for a greater grace, aren't we? But that greater grace requires carriers. Now, we don't know the names of the people in the room, and, and I am going to try to bring this to a close so we can pray for one another. But I'll just make a, one, a couple of other easy but very important points. Were the people in the room that day perfect? Did they have it all together? Did, I mean, did everyone in that room that received the power to be witnesses of evidence of the kingdom, were they theologically trained? We have about 11 that walked with Jesus daily. You could say they were in the seminary of Jesus. But again, all of them received the power of God to be witnesses. Not just the ones that walked with him. All of them who had faith in Christ received the gift. They weren't the perfect group. It wasn't because they got it all perfect, and I will say, the evidence of the next few chapters tells us, it wasn't even that they all got along perfectly. There were some very intense disagreements among these people who were in the glory of God. I have to say that because we think, oh, you know, when, if, how revival comes, it will all be so much better. Well, it will be better, but we'll still be human. And we'll still mess up, and we'll still offend one another, but the glory of God will still be with us. But to think we have to get it together, well, when we to put conditions on it, well, when we do this, and when we do that, and when we clean up all of our act, then finally the Lord will visit us. I'm just not sure that that's the testimony I'm seeing. I think the testimony I'm seeing is that when the Lord stirs hungry people and they build an altar, fire comes. When Jesus calls you to the table of friendship and you set the table, he'll come and die. Revelation chapter 3. He doesn't come to the pretty perfect performers. He comes to the ready. He comes to the willing. He comes to the available. And our biggest problems aren't that we don't have it together. I'd like us to have it more together. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> it's just that we're too busy. We're too distracted. Or we trip up on our own expectations of what it should look like. Or we're overwhelmed our, by our own sense of shame that we're not good enough. Or we're just plain satisfied where we are. I think those are our biggest problems. It's not the other things. You're too busy, too distracted. We have false expectations of what it needs to look like. We have false thinking about who we are in God. Or we're just plain happy where we are. But these people, they're ready. They're willing. They're available. They weren't perfect. They weren't superstars. But they gathered. They set the table. They built an altar. And the Lord came. Come. Now, they had no expectation. What's it going to look like when the Holy Spirit comes? Jesus says, wait, I'm going to send the promise of my Father. They're like, okay. There was no history books of revival written yet, okay? Just know that. All they knew was Jesus. So what expectations should we have when we ask for the Holy Spirit and we want God to show up in power? What expectations should we have? It's going to look like Jesus the end of the day, the fruit of it will be Jesus. Will there be a sound like a mighty rushing wind? I don't know. Does that mean it's legitimate? Only that? <laughs> if, if tongues of fire rest on our heads, does that mean it's really the, the real thing? 
I don't know, is that the only template we have? Oh, well, when people stay for hours overnight and people flock in from the nations, do we have it then? Is that the only template we have? How about we just keep it simple? Jesus said, if we ask for the Spirit, you get the Spirit. Luke chapter 11, verse 11. Wait, but if I ask him for power to be a witness, won't I get, and I ask for bread, am I going to get a stone? No. Is he going to leave me waiting? No. You ask for the Spirit, you get the Spirit. Just be ready, be willing. Let your life be an altar. Position yourself in faith. And then I would encourage you, it's also helpful, that's my final thought, (laughs) place a sacrifice on that altar. Not to earn God's favor, you already have it, but fire needs fuel. Am I right? You don't need to make a sacrifice for your sins. They're dealt with. You're already made holy, right? That's not what I'm saying. And you're not offering up stuff to, to curate favor with God. You're just looking to give him something that he can burn. All right, so what can we give? Well, the first scriptural example of the, the one thing we can always give to God is praise, sacrifice of praise. Fruit of lips that confess his name. Jesus, you're good. Jesus, you're worthy. You're worthy of my praise. So never be lacking in doing that. Give him some praise so he can send some fire on it. Not just when you come here, when you wake up in the morning, when you go to bed at night. (laughs) But it also takes time. You may need a sacrifice of time and a sacrifice of priorities, things that you can put on the altar. The truth of the matter is we have time for the things we truly want. So you truly want the Lord, give him some time. You might have to sacrifice your understanding. I just don't understand. I just don't get it. Put it on the altar. You might have to sacrifice your reputation. If I get really radical for Jesus, if I start looking like Jesus, what will people think of me? That's a good one for the altar. Put that reputation up there. Sacrifice of familiarity. Oh, I've seen revival before. I know it. Just dump your expectations. (laughs) Or even just our comfort. This is so important right now. We've seen in the last couple weeks, and I said this before, but we've seen what can happen when one person under the influence of the devil can impact a whole community. We've seen that, haven't we? We've all been impacted. We've all been traumatized. And I just want to say we sure need to see what kind of impact will happen when we come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. When we allow the person of Jesus to dwell more powerfully in us in such a way that it can impact a community, how much good fruit can come if we build an altar of our life and put a sacrifice on this fire it can consume? What could we see him do? What would we like him to do? Let your imagination run wild, but again... Just let your expectation be one thing to keep it simple. Expect it to look like Jesus. Let's make our lives an altar where the fire of God can come. Let's make ourselves ready, willing, and available to him. Let's set a table and then open the door for him. Because God's not done with us, friends. He's got fresh power for us. Until we look like Jesus and until Jesus returns... There's more. Amen? Let's stand together. Justin, if you can come. When we build an altar, he will send the fire. And when we set the table, he will come. Let's come before him. Jesus, we've said it many times today, but thank you for making your life the sacrifice for us, for pouring out your blood even unto death. But Lord, also thank you for making us like you, for redeeming us, restoring us, and reviving us into your kingdom. Hallelujah. We give you thanks today. 
Thank you for letting us be born into the greatest hour of human history up to this point. Thank you for allowing us to live in days that the world has never seen. Thank you for bringing us into your kingdom even for such a time as this. God, I thank you for every person in the room that they are being called by your name and called to your name today. God, thank you today that you take our willing vessels, you take the altar of our lives, God, and you send fire again, and you send fire again, and you send fire again. Here we are, Lord. Come and consume the offering of our lives. I want to take some time this morning to pray. Now, again, you may be in the room and you've never fully turned to Jesus. As Peter said, repent. Meaning you have to turn away from living for yourself and turn fully for living for Jesus. That is the first step. And if you're here today and you're hungry to know him, to walk with him, to experience the gift of salvation and the power of the Holy Spirit, you are invited today, even if it's your first time turning to him. I want to say that clearly. This is for all. It's for all. It's for us all. But I want to make the invitation much broader than just your first repentance or maybe your rededication you might have today to turn away from yourself. I want to make a prayer for all who will come. All who are thirsty. All of you who are being stirred. Regardless of what you have or have not experienced before this moment. If there's a stirring and a hunger in you for more. A hunger and a stirring in you that says, God's not finished. Until he's finished, I want more of what he has for me. I want to walk out my part in this story. I want to be a witness that brings evidence of the kingdom where the person of Jesus is a flame inside of me. If that's you, if there's hunger in you today, I want to open up the invitation for you to come. Come to the front. We're going to make a sacrifice to the Lord, and then we're going to pray for one another. Don't be ashamed, don't be shy, don't wait for someone else. If that hunger's in you, I want you to respond to the Lord and expect him to respond to you right now in this place. Come on to the front and face the cross of Jesus today.